Welcome to Rock Harbor Church's channel on Sermon Audio. We hope that this message is a blessing to you and it helps you in your daily walk with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So please, settle in and grab your Bibles. Here's our guest speaker with this message. All right, good morning, you guys. It's good to see you guys uh, this morning. If you had come to see Pastor Brandon, uh, like I always say when I'm up here, don't be sad because you get me. All right. So uh, Pastor Brandon, he's uh, currently in Las Vegas right now. He is uh, uh, teaching, preaching and teaching at um, Calvary Red Rock, I believe. So that's where he's at. So he'll be back next week. So like I said, um, if it's your first time here, welcome. My name is Pastor Frank, one of the associate pastors here at Rock Harbor Church. And so uh, we're glad to have you. Like I said, it's your first time. Welcome. Uh, so, but before we get into the serv- uh, message today, I did want to talk to you guys uh, real quick about, well, maybe not real quick, but talk to you guys about um, some of the things that I've learned in the military. Last time I, I spoke with you guys, I was, we were talking about, uh, you know, road marching and carrying that heavy load and losing our focus on the Lord, right? Well, well, in Joshua, that's what we're going to be, be uh, reading out of, Joshua was... Um, a great military leader. He was um, great at tactics. He was a great commander. He was, um, he had all those attributes, right? Uh, obedient. He followed the Lord. Okay. Uh, but what, you, what I wanted to point out to you is while I was putting this together, I started to think about, I have a hard time not reflecting on my military days. Like I've said, I, I was in the army. And so if there's some of you guys that have been in the either army or Marines, you're going to understand what I'm talking about. And maybe uh, possibly in Navy as well. Air Force, I don't know, guys, what, what, you know, sorry. No, I'm just joking, right? Uh, but the, uh, so you guys might understand what I'm talking about. And this uh, idea had come, up, uh, come to me, and, it's, and I was thinking about um, in my military days, uh, in, in training and things like that, we would, they would have us dig uh, what is known as a foxhole, or a fighting position would be uh, something that, it might be a more technical term. The loose term would be a foxhole, uh, the foxholes in Vietnam and things like that. And uh, so they still teach this, and I don't know if they still teach the military, but when I was in, that's what they would taught, okay? And so what the army would do, they'd give you this fancy equipment, and it was about a shovel like this big, okay? And they, they gave it a fancy name. It was called an E-tool, okay? That stood for excavation tool. Really, it was just a little old shovel, okay? And it folded up. And we gave one at our, our men's fellowship, but it, was, it folds up and you put it on your, on your rucksack, right? And so what they would do is they teach you to, when you're, you're building a fighting position, you would have to dig a hole enough for you to sta- stand in. So you're looking up maybe, you know, four, five, four and a half feet, you're going to dig a hole. And it has to be wide enough for your battle buddy that's in the fighting position with you. And it had to be, had the width to be able to stand in it, Okay. And so what you would do when you would dig this fighting hole, uh, fighting position or foxhole, you would dig in. Uh, at the bottom of that, you would dig a little hole at the bottom and probably like this deep. And so it was imperative that you dug this hole, right? And so you would say, well, what's this hole for? You know, uh, that was for the grenade. If a grenade landed in your fighting position, you had to kick it in there. You know, don't kick it to your buddy, but you kick it in the hole. And hopefully that you'll live based on that, right? Good science, okay? So 
that's what the idea was. But every day was one of the things that they've taught is that you uh, enhance your fighting position every day. Okay, You don't want to put old dry shrub in front of your uh, fighting position or your foxhole. Why? Because that'll give your position away. Right? You want it to blend in with the terrain. And so uh, you had to basically every day better your fighting position. And this tactic is used uh, like if you're in an operating base somewhere, uh, if you're operating uh, you know, a, a small level of soldiers or whatever, uh, it could be used as a squad level. It could be used as a, a, a large-scale level. Um, if, say, you had a ship that was downed in the Navy, they would put a perimeter around full of battleships and subs and all these things to protect that equipment, right, and the people. And so it's, it's a tactic used on almost every sort of you know combat situation, okay? And so I can't think, like I said... I'm sure the Navy has one, or I mean the, the Air Force has ones when they fly. I'm sure they fly in a certain formation. Okay, so I wanted to point this out to you because in our own life, in our own spiritual walk, we have a perimeter. We have a fighting position, right? And that could be on a family level, a church level, okay? We ha- on a family level, we have a fighting, we have a perimeter that we put around our family, and we have fighting positions to thwart off the enemy, right? Our personal self, we would have a perimeter. And with those perimeters, we would have a fighting position, okay? And so what we're supposed to do is check those fighting positions, better them day by day. Same, we can use the same application, all right? Because why, uh, why would we not? Because the enemy wants to overrun your camp. And the enemy is real crafty at sending pop shots to your camp, right? They want to test the perimeter. Where is the weak spot at? Where's, where's your weak area? Is this guy asleep in the fighting position? Because you would have a couple guys, right? The sergeant or squad leader would come check on your fighting position, make sure, hey, you guys awake? All right, yeah, okay, good, Sarge, we're good. And you would go down to the next fighting position and check on those guys, make sure they're awake. You need water, you need ammo, make sure you, you, you build up your fighting position, right? So that's what, that's what they did. Each uh, sergeant or squad leader would have a section of the pie, okay? So it would be a big pie around you guys. So it's the same thing. Just like in combat... The enemy is going to test your position. Now, I didn't mention this at the last service, but uh, for some of you who don't know, I had served in Iraq in 2003, and we always had, at our base camp, we always had the insurgents testing our... They would always test our, our perimeter. They would even launch uh, mortars into our perimeter. They would check to see if where, where they could hit. We even had a guy, because we hired local nationals to come work on, he, was, he had infiltrated and he was doing a pace count on the airfield so he can get measurements to, so they could adjust their fire. So our camp had been infiltrated by the local nationals. And so I got plenty of stories that I don't want to, I'm not going to tell you guys, but they would launch mortars at us all the time or they would uh, pop shots off, off our a perimeter to see where our weak spots were, right? And so... The same thing goes for us. Satan is going to fire pop shots at us. 
He's going to try to infiltrate. He's going to try to see where your weak spot is. And so it's very important for us to safeguard our perimeter. Because it's no secret, right, guys? We're in spiritual combat right now, right? It's no secret for us here at Rock Harbor Church that we're in spiritual warfare. And so I uh, thought of this verse here. It's Ephesians 6, 12. It says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against but principalities against powers, against the rulers of this darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts and weakness in the heavenly places. So Pastor Brandon does a phenomenal job at teaching us this every week, right? About spiritual warfare and understanding the wiles of the devil, understanding the things that potentially can harm us and come our way. So within our perimeter, I want you guys to think about these things. How's your guys' perimeter? How are your fighting positions? How are, your, are you alert to what's going on? Have you been breached? Has your base of operations been overrun? And so as we look at these things in these terms, we're able to have an understanding like, okay, I understand we're in spiritual warfare. I understand that my fighting positions or my perimeters are not where they should be. So one of the things that Satan will capitalize on is he will hit our he will hit our weak spots when what we are tired right when we have worked a long day at work or we're dealing with family drama or we're dealing with these certain situations and we're just tired our guard comes down and satan knows that he knows that oh yeah i can get him right here that that spot's open we got a weak spot we can get in there and sad to say that that Satan will use the weakest spots to infiltrate your base of operation. And sometimes it's sad to say that's a family member. That's somebody in your life that is the weakest link. And Satan doesn't play fair. He will use whatever, whoever he can to infiltrate and to knock you off. To knock you off your mission. He doesn't care. He'll use kids. He'll use family members. He'll use parents. He does not care. He does not play fair. And so he will use whatever he can to get you off your mission. He knows he can't take you from your, uh, take us away from salvation. He knows he can't take that. But what he will try to do is make you ineffective, make you sit down, make you shut up. Just, hey, just shut up and the pressure will release. But when you start taking a stand and start taking a fight and reinforcing your fighting positions, oh, you're going to get attacked. You're going to get a target. And dads, men, grandparents, uncles, you guys in here, you guys are the biggest target. Satan would love to make you ineffective, to have you wrapped up in whatever sin, proclivity, distraction, or any other way that would make you ineffective for the gospel. And that's what he wants. So I say that to you guys as a pre-preface to what we're going to get into, but I wanted to touch on this. So how do we maintain a spiritual perimeter? And how do we maintain a perimeter in spiritual warfare? What do we do? We don't physically dig a hole, right? We don't physically have ammunition that's going to, we're going to fight these things, right? But what we're going to do is I put out three things here. This is not all of them, but I wanted to kind of put to the top three that we can do 
to maintain our spiritual perimeter. And the first one is being in God's word. It's being deeply in the word of God. This will reinforce our fighting position. Yes, it's good to be here on Sunday mornings. Yes, it's good to be in Saturday. But we also have to have our own independent time and study with the Lord. So all those things are great, guys, but I would encourage you to get deeply in the study of God's word. If you have, if you'd have a long drive, put on something. Listen to, to, there's plenty of things that you can get into the word of God. If you have some quiet time in the morning or at night, get into the word of God. And so I want to encourage you with those things. Being deeply rooted is, it will help resist against strongholds in your walk. Spiritual alertness. Pastor Brandon does a great job right here at keeping us spiritually alert, right? We can come here. We can, uh, on any Sunday or Wednesday, we can get, we can get quickly armed and, and see what's going on in the world and see what Satan is up to and all the wiles that he's got going on. And we can be equipped here. That's good. So that part I feel we're pretty good on, right? As a whole, as a, as a, as a congregation. But individually, we also need to be spiritually alert. What goes on in our own walk, in our own life, in the privateness of ourselves, right? We have to examine our weak spots. And this is what I was talking about, pop shots, okay? So we have to examine where we are weak. We have to go before the Lord and say, Lord, show me where I need help. And once that's revealed to you, you got to act on it, guys and gals. It's tough, I know. And it might be something you've been dealing with that you think you might have a handle on, but you don't because that thing keeps coming up. Whether it be anger, whether it be temptation, whether it be any of these things, you got to work on them. And they're tough. Why? Because we have to change our old, old habits of how we used to deal with things or how we've been dealing with things. So this is how we strengthen our fighting position. And so I wanted to leave that with you guys. And, uh, you know, maybe you guys jot that down and you, and you keep those at the forefront of your mind and uh, have an understanding. Like, I need to be aware of these things going on. So with that, let's get into our text. Uh, if you have your Bibles, it's going to be, we're going to be in Joshua 9. And we're going to uh, be in Joshua 9, verses 1 through 27. And the title of this uh, sermon I've, I've given it is Overcoming by Faith. Okay, and so some of you guys might be familiar with this story, this histor- historical account. Um, if you've read it over, hopefully if we read it again, it's, it's, uh, it's okay because you might get a different or deeper understanding of what, what's going on here in Joshua. And so uh, we'll start here in Joshua uh, chapter 1, I mean chapter 9 verse 1, but it, before that, let's give, some, let's give some background on what led up to this point. Uh, if you were with, I was with you guys last time, we talked about the crossing of the Jordan River, and we looked at that, and we looked up the events leading up to that. But between there, uh, the Jordan River, and between chapter 9, we had a couple events that, that happened that, that we didn't get a chance to, to learn or study about, right? So we had the destruction of Jericho, uh, between this time, and most, most of you guys are, should be familiar with this story. I mean, it's a pretty popular story. It's read to kids in Sunday school, and so this, some of you guys are probably familiar with this. So we understand the destruction of Jericho and how that went down. 
uh, in Joshua 8, we get the fall of Ai. And some of you guys may have been familiar with that story as well. Uh, the things that went on in AI, um, not artificial intelligence, okay? It was AI. And so um, there's a lot of great things that happened in those two chapters there that, you know, maybe we will go back to them one day, next opportunity I have uh, before you guys. So those are the two verses there. I um, mean, the two chapters, uh, the fall of AI was... Uh, they, if you're not familiar with that story, they went, were commanded to go into AI and destroy everything. Some folks went in there and got some things they shouldn't have and coveted them. They ended up having, to, they lost. They had to go back, destroy the things and that family that, that took those things, and then they had to go back with the help of the Lord. And they were they were routed with the help of the Lord. And so that's a great account of what happened. Had these giant fiery meteors that God helped deliver them into their hands, right? And so that's the background story of Joshua 9, okay? But before, another thing I wanted to talk about is that every good general, good military leader, or any leader in general will give the marching orders, right? They give the orders out of what's going to happen and what's, what's going on, okay? So Joshua, Moses was given the marching orders and it passed down to Joshua, and so let's look at those marching orders that were given to them. And so this is from Deuteronomy 7.1. It says, When the Lord your God brings you into the land which you go to and possess and cast out and has cast out many nations before you, the Hittites the, and the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, seven nations greater, greater and mightier than you. And, then, uh, and when the Lord your God delivers them over to you, you shall conquer and utterly destroy them. You shall make no covenant with them, nor show mercy to them. Verse 3, continuation says, Nor shall you make marriages with them. You shall not give your daughter or to their son, or, make their, or take their daughter for your son. Take their daughter for your son. For they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. So the anger of the Lord will be aroused against you and destroy you suddenly. But thus you will make you... Sh- but thus... You shall make a deal with them. You shall destroy their altars and break down their sacred pillars and cut down their wooden images and burn their carved images with fire. So these are their marching orders, right? It's very clear what they're supposed to do, right? Very clear to us. And so you'll see later on how this unfolds and not to get come down harshly on Joshua or, or the Israelites at that time, but you'll see like, hey, guys, you had your marching orders. You knew what was supposed to be done. But later on, we'll see how this story unfolds. Another uh, verse I wanted to touch on is from Deuteronomy 10, 12. And this verse right here, uh, this, we'll read the verse first. Says, uh, Deuteronomy 10, 20, verses 10 through 12. says, when you go near a city to fight against it, then proclaim an offer of peace to it. And it shall be that if they accept your offer of peace and open, and open to you, then, then all the people who are found in it shall be placed under tribute to you and serve you. Okay. So, according to rabbinic teaching, uh, based on Deuteronomy ten twenty, or excuse me, Deuteronomy uh, twenty verses ten through twelve, Jewish requ- uh, law required that the Israelite to o- Israelites to offer peace before ga- engaging in war. Okay, and so because of this conf- uh, concept, the Talmud teaches that Joshua sent three letters of proc- proclamations to the seven nations prior to crossing over the Jordan River. So, had he had done this, he would have sent a forewarning to them, saying, "Hey, look." The Lord our God gave us this land. 
And so um, I'm going to offer you three things. Now, these letters, it's not really sure what was given to them or written in them, but we can uh, guarantee that they were saying, they said, hey, we're going to take the land like God has promised it to us. Okay. Um, So we can use that kind of as a frame of what was communicated to them. So this was Joshua's proclamation to them. Okay. You could either flee. And if you desire to flee, go ahead and flee. If you can accept the terms, you can uh, accept them in a peaceful manner and you can make a peaceful settlement and you become under our authority. Number, or number three, you can not do any of those two and you can desire war and you can go to battle. Okay? So he had three things that he was offering to them. Flee, accept, battle. Okay? So makes you think if they had understood these things, the people in that land, they had a decision to make, right? That they were either going to go do one of three things. And that was it. But we're going to look in here. Uh, we'll start in chapter 1. We're going to look at a certain group. And we'll catch up to it. But in verse 1 it says, And it came to pass when all the kings uh, who, were in, who were on this side of the Jordan, in the hills, in the lowlands, in the coasts, of the great sea towards Lebanon, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites heard about it. Okay, so they heard about all this, Okay. And so they were on this side, I'll say this side, but it would have been the west side of the Jordan River. Okay? And so once they heard about it, what they did is they gathered together. Verse 2 says, they gathered together to fight with Joshua and Israel with one accord. So all the kings of the west of the Jordan, the river, united to fight Joshua and Israel. So pretty interesting, right? That all the nations would get up, gather up and fight, and fight against Israel. I think we've seen that somewhere, right? So we can look at as a foreshadow of saying, yeah, that's usually how it is, is that the people, of the nations around the world, they always form an alliance against who? Israel, right? So we see that as a foreshadow, like, okay, I see what's going on. So verse 3, he says, they say, but when the inhabitants of, Gib- of the Gibeon heard about Joshua and then what he'd done to Jericho and Ai... They were craftily and went and pretended to be ambassadors. Okay, and so the Gibeonites, in all their sly and skillfulness, they went in and pretended to be ambassadors. They made a deception, right? We're going to deceive Joshua and the Israelites. We're going to trick them, okay? We're going to use deception to creep into their land. So they uh, pretended to be ambassadors, um, and they pretended to be, you'll see here in verse, uh, coming up in the next verse, they pretended to be afar, but the Gibeonites actually uh, were, they, the Gibeonites were the Hivites, and so this map shows where they lived. So if you see that red circle there, it was Gibeon, and then we had the two X's there, that was the two campaigns they did in uh, Jericho and, and Ai. But they were only about 25 miles from their camp at this time. And so what they're going to do, as you'll see, is they're going to pretend like they came from far away. So this is the Gibeonites, right? And they took old sacks on their donkeys, old wineskins, torn and mended. 
old patched sandals on their feet and old garments on themselves. And all the bread of their position, uh, all the bread of their provision was dry and moldy. Okay, so this is where they're, now they're uh, forming their plan. They're getting their props, right? All their theatrical props going, the fake, you know, the fake outfits, you know, the moldy bread. And they're going to present all this to them. And what the Israelites do is they look at it. Oh, we're going to follow the science, right? Follow the science. The bread is moldy. Yeah, it's been days old. Uh, look at their shoes. They're worn. Their clothes are tattered. Science checks out. These guys are from far away, right? So what happens when we start following the science? Just a side note that if this doesn't get taken down pretty quick, we're going to get our second strike, okay, on YouTube. And I don't want to do that. That's Pastor Brandon's job, all right? I'm not, not on my watch, guys, Okay. So follow the science, right? Do we hear this all the time? Follow the science. And this is what Joshua, like I said, Joshua and the Israelites were getting to, ready to do, just as we as human, our human conditions tend to do, right? Let's follow the science. Well, what does science say about that? What does science say about this? Okay? And our government does a really good job at telling us to trust the science, right? I don't even know where is any good science these days. I mean... My goodness, everything's been so infiltrated. Where do we, I mean, good science. I don't know. So let's see what happens. I got some examples here. Like I said, I just got a few. And here at Rock Harbor, you guys know, Pastor Brent does a great job at showing us things when we follow the science. So I'm not going to go into all those things. He, he, he does a great job at doing that, right? And so let's follow the science, though. Here, here's one. This is from a mom blog. Okay, and she said, life starts from the moment of birth and not conception. Abortion is where a pregnancy is terminated. It's not killing of a baby. Most abortions occur within the first three months of a pregnancy. During that time, the fetus does not look like a person. So it doesn't look like a person, so it's probably not a person, right? This is what, this is what the society is telling us. That is not a person, okay? We understand here as Bible believers that life begins when? Conception, right? Conception, that is a life. But if we listen to mom blogs, they're going to tell us, no, it doesn't start at that. It starts when the baby's born. And so we've heard this before, like there's some fairy dust that comes out and makes it a person when the baby exits the birth canal, right? Gets the fairy dust, now becomes a human. This one right here was going to get us booted off YouTube. Follow the science. Prevent serious illness. This is the COVID vaccine, right? We follow the science on the COVID vaccine. And this right here is from the CDC website. This is their website, guys. It says, COVID-19, the vaccine, prevents serious illness um, available in the United States and are safe, effective, protecting people from getting seriously ill, being hospitalized, and dying. I'm sorry, that sounds like the people who took the vaccine, and it's sad because it's happening. Our loved ones are being uh, struck with these things. And you're like, man, I wish you would not have taken that vaccine. And we have friends. I have friends that have said, man, I wish I wouldn't have taken that thing. I wish I wouldn't have. I wish I would have, kind of, I wish I would have done like you and not taken it. 
Well, it's sad to see that we are seeing the outcome of these things. And like I said, I'm not going to go deep into that because Pastor Brandon does a great job of showing us what happens, what's going on in the world with the, the result of the COVID vaccine. What's the next one is going to be uh, climate change, right? It used to be called global warming years ago. If you guys have grown up in the 70s and 80s and 90s, like me, it used to be called global warming. I remember like growing up, they would, they would, there was a big campaign, stop using the hairspray, the, the Aquanet for your bangs. Is, stop doing that. You're ruining the environment, right? The old Aquanet thing, we stopped. Stop selling. They poured, They they shut that company down. Poor company. We're a victim of that. But stop using those things, right? Because you're going to cause a hole in the ozone layer. Imagine how that from a little. All you guys are putting hairspray in your hair, and you're putting a hole in the ozone layer. That's that was science at the time, right? Am I wrong? That's that's the science. So this right here, this is from the UN website, and I don't know. We all can understand why the UN has a concern about climate change, right? They're very concerned, the UN. So since the 1800s, human activities have been the main driver of climate change, primarily due to burning fossil fuels like coal and oil and gas and your hairspray. (laughs) So all these things, because you heat your house, drive your car to work, um, you know, I don't know, cook, do all these things, you guys are causing climate change since the 1800s. Science, right? This is from the UN. So you and I, we we get this. We understand like, oh man, (laughs) that's crazy. But this is what's being, this is what being, is being sold to our kids and to our youth and to the, to people who have no idea what's going on. You know, and you see these, this whole thing about electric cars and yeah, they're nice. You look at them, they're, they, they made them really nice, but how do you travel with them and you have to recharge them and wait in long lines? I don't know. I don't have an electric car, but I can imagine, you know, but I don't know. So these things I just put out to you as we follow the science, right? And so this is not, like I said, not to get so hard on Joshua and the Israelites, but this is what they did at that time. They were following the science, right? Looking at that moldy bread. Yeah, it looks, that's, looks old. Um, but let's get back to the uh, scripture, the verse. Verse number six, it says, And they went to Joshua to the camp at Gilgal and said to him, to the men of Israel, We have come from far away. Now, therefore, make a covenant with us. We're not bad guys. We're good guys. Look at us. Right? I threw that part in there. But then the men of Israel said to the Hivites, perhaps you dwell among us. So how can we make a covenant for you? So there was probably a little bit of, hmm, something's not right here, right? But they said to Joshua, uh, oh, excuse me, let me back up. Said, uh, so perhaps you dwell among Okay, so verse 8 says, well, uh, but Joshua said, where are, you, where, where are your servants? Where's your credentials at? Where's your people? Okay, where's the things that you would normally have if you were ambassadors? Where's your, your entourage? Where's your, um, your credentials, right? And uh, Joshua said, but they said to Joshua, we are your servants. We come to help you. We're not a threat. See, we just want to come and be and help. 
we want to be your servant, right? And Joshua said, well, who, who and where, are you, where do you come from? Okay, he gets straight to the point. And so one of the things I want to point out is that the Gibeonites probably knew that there had to been some, something in the law that said if you lived far, if you lived a distance, certain distance, you wouldn't have to. Uh, you can make a covenant with them, right? And so they must have known this, and they're banking on this. They're banking on, well, if we can deceive them and get, a co- get something signed or make a covenant, then we can be spared. And so verse 9, they said, from very, we come from very far away, a very far country from your servants. At, uh, very far country, your servants had, have come because of the name of the Lord your God. For we have heard his name and all that he had did in Egypt and all that he had, uh, did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to, to Sihon, to, uh, king of Heshbon, and Og, king of Bashan, who was at Asheroth. So they're using flattery, right? Here's some more deception. Like I said, they come with no, with no, um, they come with no credentials, nothing like that. And one of the interesting things is that they use part of their deception to leave out some stories, leave out some information. They could have said, "Yeah, we heard about what happened at Jericho. We heard what happened in Ai." They didn't. They left that stuff out because they would have well have heard about that stuff, those things going on. But they left it out. Right? Why is part of the deception? Oh, we come from far away, but we heard about what happened in Egypt, what, what your God did in Egypt. And like I said, if you notice, they use flattering words. So that's another tactic of, of deception is flattery. You know, if someone flatters you, oh man, you're so this, you're so that, you're so great. Watch out, man, because they might be using, they might be using uh, that as a deception. So we have to be able to recognize that. So, but don't, if I compliment your shoes, don't think I'm using flattery. It's probably because I, I like your shoes or something, okay? So I've done that, okay? Some people, hey, I like that jacket, man. So uh, I'm not doing that. So that's legit for me. That's coming from my heart. So let's get back to verse 11. It says, therefore, our elders and all the inhabitants of our country spoke, us, spoke to us saying, take provisions with you for the journey and go meet with them and, saying, and say to them, we are your servants, now, therefore, make a covenant with us. This bread of ours we took for our, was hot for our provision uh, from our houses on the day we departed to come to you. But now, look, it's dry and moldy. Right? So they're looking and they say, like, oh, yeah, this bread, let's check it out. Looks moldy, man. And these wineskins which we filled were new. And look, see that they are torn. And these are our garments and our sandals have become old because of a very long journey. Again, they're using deception. They're trying to deceive Joshua and the Israelites. I can only think of one thing, like right here on Gosford, the, the homeless guys, the panhandlers, that they're, they're, they're all asking for money. And then when they're done at the end of the day, they go and get in a BMW or a Lexus. Have you guys seen that? It's real. They're using the deception, right? They want to look all worn and tattered, but they really drive a nice car. And so um, that's the only thing I can think of is this here made me think like, yeah, that's kind of like that. You know, they're showing up with these ratted and tattered clothes. Um, So verse 14, then the men of Israel took some of their provision, but they did not ask counsel of the Lord. 
boom, there's your crashing wave right there. So Joshua made peace with them, made a covenant with them, let them live, and the rulers of the congregation swore to them. So this was the peak of Joshua and the people's compromise. So they didn't seek counsel uh, from the Lord, as we can see here. And there's no excuse they should have. At that time, they would have had the Urim and the Thummim, which was um, stones. In Leviticus, they would, they would have been stones, and those stones would have guided them and asked them. There's not too much details about those things, but they had those stones, and they could have sought counsel from the Lord and been uh, clued in on what's going on, right? So there's no excuse for them not seeking counsel in the Lord. So the Gibeonites, they, their, their little scheme worked. They're able to deceive, they're able to trick, and get in there and have them sign a covenant with them. And one of the things we look at is that the Israelites did not take heed. Exodus 34, 12 says, Take heed uh, to yourself, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land where you're going, lest it be a snare in your, mind, in your midst. When you look up snare, it's trapped. Let them be a trap to you. And we see all these warnings, right? We see all the warnings that was given to Joshua and the Israelites. Like, man, come on, we're, we're, what are you guys thinking, right? But again, not to get so hard on them, right? Because I don't want to, uh, you know, they're doing what, what they thought they were doing was good, okay? So I don't want to get too hard on those guys, but... When failing to see God was going to result in compromise. That's my point. So Satan will tempt us with compromise. All right? And so when we fail to see God, this is the probability, the highest probability when we're going to compromise, guys. So here's the result of compromise. Compromise lowers God's standards. Compromise lowers, lowers the standards or denies God's standards. And again, we see this week to week going on in our churches, in our nation, in our, in our cities. We might even see this in our own families, right? When we compromise and say, you know what, we're just going to leave that person there and let them, let them in their sin. Their sin is not going to harm me. Their sin's not bothering you, Frank. Why are you even concerned? Just let them be. But the truth is, we know that the sin doesn't stay with that person, right? The sin is what? Going to spill out in the streets. Now it's infecting me and, or affecting me and my family. No. And because of that, guess what? Who's the bad guy? You and I. Because we're not going to tolerate someone's sin. We're not going to lower the sin of God's standards and say, yeah, that's cool. Go ahead. We'll tolerate that. And now we end up becoming the bad guy. Now we become ending the enemy. So compromise uh, causes division. Compromise allows division to settle, and it could, be, it could happen gradually or it can happen immediately. And sometimes we see this, we see this thing that's wearing down, the wearing down, the wearing down, and finally, boom, full compromise. Or sometimes it's just immediate, overnight compromise. It can happen in two, those two, two ways. Tolerate sin. When we compromise, we tolerate sin, just like I was saying. And compromise leads to acceptance of sin, acceptance of falsehoods, leading to disobedience. And we know that sin, what? Leads to death. 
So tolerating of someone who's living in sin or continually getting drunk or using drugs or doing these things. And you're like, you know what? We're done. You need help. And we put that boundary on someone. And guess what? How unloving are you? How unchristian you are because you refuse to tolerate sin. That's what they tell us, guys, right? That's why they view you and I. How unloving are you? That's not what Jesus would do. Fake Christian, right? Jesus talked about compromise. And this is Matthew 31, 32. This is the parable of the sower. And he says, another parable, he said, put forth them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like mustard, like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which is indeed the least of all the seeds. But when it grown, it grew greater than the herbs and became a tree. So that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. So what Jesus is talking about here, he's talking about the kingdom and he's talking about the, 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 the kingdom of God, the, the word of God going out. And we see how even today we can see how the, the results of the word of going out. We see uh, churches and uh, around the globe from our missionaries that went out and planted seeds and those seeds have grown and, and the church, we can see the church as a tree, but the tree now has birds resting in it. The tree now has the birds who are emissaries of Satan. They are workers of Satan. And we, like I said, we, we understand this and we know this uh, as Rock Harbor. We understand Pastor Brent does a great job as showing us these things, right? So they're sitting, Satan's emissaries are sitting in the tree. They've infiltrated the church. And this is because of compromise. Let's talk a little bit about compromise, okay? A little bit more. This guy right here. Hold on, let me, let me go back. Let me go back. The, uh, growing up, I had my, my kids, they're teens now, some of them, but we'd always show them VeggieTales, right? And, uh, you know, they had some good little Bible stories on there and growing up. And we were just talking about this about a week ago about VeggieTales. And, you know, the creator of VeggieTales, right? Phil Vischer. Okay, now I'll go back to the slide. He, he, we know that he's been going off the rails, okay? And when I saw this, my first thought was like, no, not Larry and Bob. Come on. Can we have anything can we have something? Man. <clears throat> but you look at this, the creator, Phil Vischer, says, Christians shouldn't oppose transgenderism. That's you guys. It's me. We shouldn't oppose this, guys. It's wrong. We should just let it be. We should just compromise, right? In recent Twitter rant, Vischer cries foul on churches who actually discipline members or an open sexual rebellion to God's created order and chastises churches who would dare not accept the, these people among the ranks of their churches. Despite the scriptures, clear all to, clear to purge the sexual immoral from among us, sexual immorality defiles, excuse me, us because sexual immorality defiles the church. Fisher instead complains that churches must get rid of this mentality. And you've heard it said from Pastor Brandon, and I agree with him, it's not the people in the sin that we are rejecting it. It's the lifestyle. We want them to come to faith. We want them to be restored. We love them. We want, 
We want them to receive the gospel. It's the movement, guys. This machine it is just pushing this whole movement on us. And it's big. We see it. Here's another one I wanted to show. Now look, I know Amy Grant has been on, kind of been on the fringe, you know, but in the 80s and 90s, I think she was a popular Christian artist. Um, but now, you know, she's even showing even more of what she stands for. So she says, gay, straight. It doesn't matter. Amy Grant takes her LGBTQ uh, support one step further, a new interview. And this is a part of what she says. It says, doesn't matter how we behave. Grant continued. It doesn't matter how we're wired. We're all our best selves when we believe to the core, I'm loved. And then our, creative t- our creativity flourishes. We're like, I'm going to arrange flowers on your table and my table when we're all loved. We're all brave enough to say yes to every good impulse that comes to us. I'm sorry. I don't act on my impulses. And neither should you. So this is what's being uh, promoted to us, right? So anyways, like I said, I know Amy Grant is not somebody that you know we're going to look to for great theology, right? But she is a Christian figure, and she has a lot of influence. One more here. It says, support for same-sex marriage in the church, by the church attendance, 2004 to 2022. I got this from Gallup. He says, uh, this is weekly, right? You're weekly, nearly weekly or monthly, and seldom never uh, churchgoers. So obviously, seldom never is going to be the top 82% support same-sex marriage. The middle part there is 70%. Um, that's who go like monthly or nearly weekly. And then you have your weekly folks that are like 40%. They're 40% supporting let me read that there. It says, analyzing Gallup's trend since 2004, Americans who seldom or never attend church have always been mostly supportive of same-sex marriage or same-sex couples and legally get married. No surprise there, right? Among those who attend nearly weekly or monthly who did not rise to the majority level of 2014, weekly churchgoers have yet to reach a majority level of support in the trend. The trend is 40% among this group who support same-sex marriage is within the 39 to 44% range Gallup has recorded since 2016. So you see how that's going up. Where's that going to be in another 10 years if we're still here? 50, 60%, 80% of the church. So this is where compromise leads. It doesn't stop. It keeps going. Let's get back to the verses. Verse 16, it says, It happened at the end of the three days after they had made a covenant with them, that they had heard that they were who they were there who uh, they were their neighbors who dwelt near them. So now, guess what? They get to see like, hey, hey, you guys are actually our neighbors, right? They were found out. Their cover has been blown. Their sins been revealed. You deceivers, you tricksters, right? Like, right, we got you, we got you, man. We bamboozled you. Then the children of Israel journeyed and came to their cities on the third day. Now their cities were Gibeon, Chephirah, Beeroth, and Kirjoth, Jerem. But the children of Israel did not attack them because the rulers of the congregation had swore to them by the Lord God Israel. All the congregations complained against the rulers. Right? They grumbled. Why do you think they grumbled? They had been deceived. They were lied to. And you can imagine this. Hey, 
You lied, man. All bets are off, right? We get to kill you now. Line them up. Let's go, right? In our worldly sense, maybe. Yeah, let's line them up. Nope, no deal. Contract, breach of contract, right? You broke your contract. Nope, we're done. That's in a worldly sense, right? The deal is off. Our contract is null and void. That's what the world would say. But listen to what Joshua says. says, Then all the rulers rulers said to the congregation, We have sworn to them by God, by the God of Israel. Now therefore we may not touch them. This we will do to them. We will let them live, lest wrath be upon us because of the oath which we swore to them. So Joshua said, Hey, look, guys, hold on. We made an oath to God, and so we need to keep that. And that's something that we don't see very much these days when people make an oath to God. We don't see the seriousness of it, right? My next point is this. We should take our commitment seriously. God is serious about his promises, so should we. God went to the cross for us, died and resurrected for the, according to the scriptures for us. He took his promises seriously, his commitment seriously, so should we. When I was thinking about commitments, I was thinking about marriage. The commitment of marriage is waning, right? The covenant of marriage is not taken as seriously as it used to. Marriage now, for some people, is just a piece of paper, right? That's what's told to us. Let's look at what the world's views on marriage. If you love each other in the eyes of the Lord, you're already married, right? There's no need. Why ruin it, right? Once we get married, it's going to ruin everything. We're getting to know the person we want to marry better before we make that major commitment. So we're just going to live together. We just got a good deal on a house before our marriage date, which then had to be delayed. So we're living together, enables us, and it's letting us save money for our honeymoon. Okay? And then here's the last one that you hear all the time. Marriage is just a piece of paper. Don't do it, girlfriend. Right? If it's just a piece of paper, then what's the big deal? Why? But because you know that it's not a piece of paper. It's a covenant. It's something that you make that is serious. And our society has cheapened it so much that it's just, it's nothing, man. It's just a piece of paper. So that's our view. That's the commitment that we see. And we can thank that to California, right? California is always cutting the way on things, right? We're always leading the way on things. So in 1970, eight years before I was born, California legislation passed the no-fault divorce policy. And so we can thank that for just, hey, there's no fault. I just don't want to live with this person. I'm going to divorce them. Cool. But this resulted in more women and children in poverty, men losing custody, and more children experiencing depression and emotional issues. Why? Because there's no dad in the home. Back to the scriptures, verse 21. It said, The ruler said to them, Let them live, but th- let them be woodcutters and water carriers, for all the congregation has uh, congr- for all the congregation, as the rulers had promised them. This is what they're saying in front of everybody. So now they're trying to make the best of their mistakes, right? Hey, look, we messed up. Let's do something with them. We're going to make them serve in, uh, to the Lord. Then Joshua called for them, he said, spoke to them, and said, Why have you deceived us? saying, why are you very far? You said you were very far from you. We are very far from you, but you dwell near us. You said that we were neighbor, that you lived afar, but you're really like our neighbor. 
And here was the response. He said, oh, he says, now, therefore, you cursed are you, and none of you shall be freed from being slaves, woodcutters, and water carriers for the house of my God. So he's going to make them servants. Okay? So their lives were spared. Hey, now you're going to serve us. Or serve the Lord. I'm sorry. So they became, they came, they answered Joshua, and this is their answer. He said, why, you know, he's saying, why did you deceive us? He says, because your servants were clearly told your servants were clearly told that the Lord, your God, commanded his servant Moses to give you all the land and to destroy all the inhabitants of the land from before you. Therefore, we were very much afraid for our lives because of you, because of you and this thing that you have done. So what's the takeaway? Fear. Fear will result in compromise. When we lack fear, we are susceptible to compromise. And you may have experienced this in your own life. You may have experienced this in somebody else. When someone gets fearful of things, what do we do? Make bad decisions, right? Bad decisions. I was thinking about, you know, when uh, we had a couple years ago, we had the fear of not having any milk or anything. And what did people do? People did crazy things, right? And or there's food. We did some crazy stuff. You know, trying to avoid a, a, a virus. People were wiping down their grocery bags. Do you remember that? And you have to leave them at the doorstep because we were fearful. All right? We were doing some crazy things before we knew what was the truth about it. So the fear of man will cause us to act out of our norm and cause us to violate our conscience. Most importantly, it will cause us to violate the word of God. And we know that God has not given us the spirit of fear. Amen? Verse 25, now here we are in your hands. Do with us as you seem is good and do right to us. The Gibeonites have changed their tone a little bit. So he did to them and delivered them out of the hand of the children of Israel and so that they did not kill them. So the Gibeonites, they submit themselves to Joshua. Like I said, perhaps they understood that if they humble themselves, they will be spared. But Joshua gave them a, basically a second chance, right? Verse 27, that day Joshua made them woodcutters and water carriers for the congregation of the Lord and the altar in that place which he, did, uh, which, he would chose, which he chose even to this day. So the Gibeonites, they got off pretty good, right? They attempted to deceive. And because of the promise of Joshua, they were able to be spared. The, uh, from the promise that Joshua made to the to God, and so man, they were made to serve the Lord. Awesome is that, though, as a punishment, right? So here we go: the Gibeonites were enemies of God. The, the Gibeonites they were deceivers. By way of deception and lying, they attempted to circumvent the law and make their own means. They weren't going to come about it by the, light, the, the way that was prescribed. They were going to do their own thing. The Gibeonites should have gotten the death sentence. They, by their action, they should have received the death penalty and been killed. They should have, and so as we see this, it looks like they've been humbled. They became humbled, submitted to Joshua, saying, do with this as you will. And then the last part, their lives were spared. They were lived. They were able to live. And due to Joshua's response to God, promise to God, their lives were spared, resulting in service to God. 
something interesting is that the Gibeonites are you and me before we came to faith. We tried to come to God with our own works and our own way. We tried to come to God with, as a deception. And we deserved the death penalty when we had that on us. We deserved it. The wages of sin is death. That's what we earned. But if you have come to faith and salvation, that means you have recognized that you are spiritually broken and that you humbled yourself, that you can't do it on, the, on your own, and that you do need God. That is you and I. And because of that, we are spared. Our life has been spared. We are given a gift of eternal life that we get to spend with God for eternity. And something else is interesting too. Joshua is Yehoshua. Jesus is Yeshua. Joshua kept his promise to God and said, hey, look, I'm going to hold. He kept his promise to the Lord. And so did Jesus, right? Jesus was des- designated, or excuse me, dedicated to the Father. Such a beautiful parallel that we can see how Joshua spared the lives of the Gibeonites and God, for those who come to faith, their lives are spared as well. So that's you and us, guys. So one more slide, and I'll, we'll end up on this. And all this to say, very simple verse, but yet profound. And you guys might have this verse memorized. This might be one of your favorite verses, but I wanted to leave you on this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. Guys, like I said, Seek the Lord in all the things you do. Learn from what we have learned from Joshua. And, you know, one of the things that we can, we can bank on is that God, he can turn our mess ups. He can turn them around, right? I'm not saying there's not going to be consequences, but he can turn our mess ups into good things. And it might cost you a little bit of pain, right? It might cost you to humble yourself. So I leave you with that. Thanks for joining us for another lesson. We hope that this message is a blessing for you and helps you grow towards a more mature understanding of God's Word. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website at rockharborchurch.net. Until next time, remember, keep looking up for our redemption draws near.